We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let me uh, share with you just a few minutes tonight uh, from the Word of God and a couple of different portions of Scripture. Why don't you turn your Bibles to the Old Testament, speaking of that, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we'll trust the Lord to uh, help us with this. This is not meant to be a... uh, long exposition of some or some doctrinal treatise, uh, but rather just a word of encouragement for you today. The question that I posed this morning is is indeed the question that I uh, kept uh, with as I completed my studies this afternoon. You know, I had a little bit of a short notice on this one because of uh, Jansen being absent this afternoon or today, actually. Um, But I did tell you this morning what I was working on, and um, it was this question, why me? Why me? And as I thought about that question, I thought there are kind of two directions I can take that question. The direction I intended to take it was, and I did, was why me in a good way. People ask, you know, why did God shed his wondrous grace on me? Why me? And not, you know everybody else or some other particular person that may be in your mind. So that's the one direction. I'll call that the good direction. Then there's the kind of bad direction, like why me? Like why did I get this trial? Why did I get this sickness? Why did I have this problem? And we can deal, that's more like the problem of evil and why, how it applies to us as individuals. We're not going to go down that path tonight, maybe another time. But why questions, questions of why, when they have to do with why God did something, are fraught with danger, aren't they? they those questions enter into areas in which only the divine mind can fully give an answer. I mean, you know, when you say, why did you do that, God? As if, first of all, he's obligated to tell you the reasons and second of all, that you could understand the reasons if he did tell you. So the why question is a bit dangerous, but there is a portion in Scripture in Deuteronomy, not in the chapter I ask you to turn to, but later on in Deuteronomy in chapter 29 and verse 29 that say it says the secret things belong to the Lord, but those that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Many times people quote the first part of that verse and not the second. You know, the revealed things, that's nice, we have those, but then you have a responsibility with them too, right? You've got to do them. You've got to obey what God has said to us. So that gives us that idea there in that verse that God has revealed certain things does give us hope. It's a glory to God to reveal his will to humanity, and he's done that. We have a whole huge book here that is that revelation of God's will to humanity. And so maybe God has revealed some information to us about this subject, why me? 
Why me? And I'm going to start by going, as I said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, with the question, why Israel? Because it's going to help us to understand the answer to the question, why me? What that answer is. And in, uh, in the Bible, in Nehemiah says, God chose Abram. God chose Abram. He, he uh, got him out of Ur of the Chaldees, brought him with his family to Haran, and then uh, the rest of the circuitous route down to the land of Canaan or Palestine, as some call it today. It's really the land of Israel more properly. But uh, he, he chose Abram out of that situation. And then later on in Deuteronomy, so after the nation of Israel has been born, after they have been given their constitution in Exodus 19 and 20 and following, after the law has been given in Leviticus, after they've failed in numbers uh, and, and to go into the land and wandered for 38 years plus the initial time before the wanderings, a total of altogether about 40. And then now they're about to come into the land under Joshua and God, and, uh, God through Moses is giving to them the law the second time. That's Deuteronomy. The namas is the law, and the dut prefix is the second time, giving the law the second time. So like you can find the Ten Commandments back in Deuteronomy 5, which are repeated from Exodus 20 before that, uh, approximately 40 years earlier. So in Deuteronomy 7 now, the Lord is not speaking specifically about choosing Abram, but he's speaking about choosing the nation of Israel, why he has done this. And let's just start reading together and uh, follow along as I read in Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. And this is going to answer the why question. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, and then he lists seven nations that are greater and mightier than them. Verse 2, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter Sorry, give your daughter, singular, to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now here we go. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment the statutes and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. So God chose Abram. And we're going to answer, answer a little bit the question now, why did he do this? Why did he choose the nation of Israel? And 
One way we can answer that is to look back. Why, in retrospect, what were the reasons leading up to their choosing? And then the other is why looking forward? Why did God, what was his purpose in choosing them? So kind of reasons for doing it and purpose kind of directed toward the future. In the first case, looking back, what's the reason the Lord chose Israel before he did that? Prior to choosing them, what was the what was the point? Well, he answers the question in the negative, first of all, when he says, I didn't choose you because you were more a number than any people. In fact, you were few. You were small. When he chose Abram, how many Hebrew peoples were there? One. Only one. You know, and then when Jacob went down to Egypt, how many were there? Do you remember? You have it. Yeah, it's in your mind. It's 70. That's it. I mean, it was basically a large clan. In fact, let's see, Abram, Isaac, Jacob. How many servants did Abram have in his, in his house? Remember that? When he went and beat uh, the kings in Genesis 14 and Melchizedek came out and blessed him, 318 servants. He had more servants in his house than Jacob took with him down uh, the 12 tribes and all that down to Egypt. Now that's remarkable, isn't it? Small people. Did God choose them because they were so great? Now it doesn't tell us here, but we could add, you know, did he choose them because they were so compliant? Because they were so nice? Because they were so docile? Peace-loving people? No, I mean, you see in Genesis some bad deals going on. Yikes. He didn't choose them because of those things, that you know they weren't better. This teaches us that God doesn't choose people, does not bring people close to himself because of some merit or power in themselves. This is just rehearsing a lesson that we've known for years and years as Christians. But notice what it says in chapter 7, in verse number, well, I'll start with 7. I'm going to read a portion of 7 and then juxtapose it with a portion of 8. It says in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you because you were more, verse 8, but because the Lord loves you. Now that doesn't, you might say that doesn't answer the question. The Lord didn't love you because you're so great, but because he loves you. You know, you know what? It does answer the question. The origination of the, the answer to the question, why Israel, originates in the love of God. That's it. That's it. God put his love upon them because he loved them. And that's not a circular, uh, just purely circular kind of reasoning. That is, he had in his mind to set his favor upon this people, and that's why he set his favor upon them. He loved them. Because God loved you, he set his love on you. And also, it says, after that in verse 8, not only because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep his oath, which he promised. So he promised to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember in turn in Genesis 12, and then 15, and then 17, and then 22 maybe, and 26, and so on. Through the book of Genesis, he made these promises to his people, to, his, to the forefathers, and now, these years later, many, many hundreds of years later, he is 
telling them, I am keeping my promise to your forefathers. And so this is why I am setting my love on you. This is why I'm choosing you. This is why I'm bringing you into this land. You are a special people to me, not because you're special, but because I'm loving you and that makes you special in that way. So that's why looking back, not any merit in them, but in all in God, all in God's choice, all in God's love, all in God's plan. But then looking forward, why God chose, what is the purpose for which the Lord chose Israel? I have a few thoughts there as well based on this text. God chose them to be holy to the Lord, a treasured possession. Look at verse 6. You are a holy people. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You might say, well, that sounds kind of discriminatory. Well, in this case, because God is holy, God can choose whom he wants to choose. And he's chosen to set his love on certain people on the planet, particularly in this case in the nation of Israel, not to the exclusion of all the other nations in the sense that none of them can have any relationship with God or ever be saved or anything like that, but that this would be a specially treasured people. So he selects them. He, he puts his love upon them. Secondly, not only he chose them to be holy and a treasured possession, but he doesn't want them to be mixed up with idolaters lest you and your children become like them and worship the false gods. Notice the very important note that he makes. Don't marry your children to idolaters. Why? Because that's going to cause them to become, you know, they're going to convert to that false faith. They're going to start following uh, Molech and Chemosh and Milcom and, you know, the gods that require child sacrifice and all of the crazy stuff that, they had going on in the ancient Near East. And and somehow that was so powerful that if a young man, an Israelite man, married a girl who was believing in that, she would convince his heart to turn toward that and do that so that she would be happy. Because if you don't do that, then, you know, the gods are going to be angry at us or some such nonsense like that. And so the the spouse that was the idolatrous spouse would sway the good, I'll call the good spouse, the, the one that came from a good background, away from the Lord. So the Lord told them, you must get rid of all that idolatrous stuff from your midst. Don't dwell with it. Don't allow it into your home because it will have devastating results. Devastating results. God also demonstrates his ongoing faithfulness for keeping his covenant to those who love him and keep his commandments. We saw that as we read through these um, 11 verses those who love him and keep his covenant, he will have mercy on them for a thousand generations. But those who hate him, he will repay, and it's a pretty personal kind of repayment here. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So God is not going to slack when it comes to judging those who are evil. God chose you also, he says, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. That's verse number 11. So along with the privilege of being loved by God comes this forward-looking, okay, now we have to keep his commandments. 
so that God can keep his covenant with us and bless us. And that's in the following verses. There's blessings on obedience that are listed there, very common theme in the Old Testament and in the Law of Moses. I want you to see here that there is a heavily relational component to the why Israel question, a heavily relational component. God loves these people. If he loves them, shouldn't they love him? You know, hear, the, hear O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Why? Because he loved you. He loved you. You know, you think about this, the, the cosmic size, the cosmic scope of God loving you, Israel, you as an individual here tonight, if you're a follower of his, and if you're not a follower of his, guess what? He still has demonstrated love for you, demonstrated love for you in that he sent his son to die for your sins. In this way, God loved the world by sending his son, the only begotten, to, to be a substitute for sinners, gave him so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God has demonstrated a, a grand, you could almost say infinitely proportioned love to you toward us as human beings. And this is why I say there's an overwhelming relational component to our to our being chosen by God, in this case, the nation of Israel. We'll come to our place more specifically in just one second. But do you grasp on that, that relational component that God set his personal favor upon this nation? And maybe I can illustrate it in the negative by saying, how do you suppose God feels, if I can give a, an anthropomorphic expression for God, when those people turn away from him. You love your children. How do you feel when they rebuff that love? You love your spouse. How would you feel if that terminated? You love you know, people in your life, relatives and church members, and, and think about it when they turn away, when they begin to become different and have a different countenance toward you. That's a little bit like what God feels like when his people turn away from him. I mean, Hosea is a great illustration of that, speaking again of the Old Testament. God illustrating his love for an unfaithful nation by using his prophet to go marry somebody, a woman of the street, take her in. Then she leaves again, and then God says, you go back and get her. Now, that's unheard of. People don't just do that, but... That's how God is with his people. He kept taking them back, wanting them to come, even though they had, had prostituted themselves after idols and false worship. Now, I'm going to shift gears, and we're going to now look at the answer to the question, why me again, but not under the guise of why Israel, but under the umbrella of why the church. So I have adjusted the title question from why me to why the church, because I want to emphasize that although we do ask that question, why me, we ought to stop and think it's not just all about me, is it? Why the church? Why has God chosen this body of believers across the world 
to be his people. You know, we like the personal focus. Why me? But God has a bigger plan than just about me. Now, we're involved, obviously, and God loves us as individuals too. But let's think of ourselves as part of the corporate body, the church. So again, why me? Why the church? Looking back, for what reason did God choose the church before he ever did choose the church? Prior to doing that, you know, setting his, his favor upon them. Well, negatively, not because of works of righteousness that we have done. Not because we were so big, not because we were so great, not because we were so mighty, so numerous, so wonderful, so nice, so docile, so peace-loving. Now, it wasn't because of works of righteousness that we had done, not because we were intelligent. Titus 3 tells us these words, and I'm in going now there to Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 through 5. And... Not because of works of righteousness. Ephesians 2.9 says, Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The Bible also says in Titus chapter 3, um, in verse number 5, not by works of righteousness, but here's, a, here's the reason leading up to our salvation, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So purely on the basis of God's mercy and kindness, he set his favor upon us. Why me? Well, when you ask that question in song or to yourself in quiet, you just answer it this way, not because of what I've done, but because of his mercy and his kindness. Ephesians tells us that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us both in Ephesians 5.2 and also in Ephesians 5.25, Paul says that. He loved us and gave himself for us. Can you hear the parallel or the echo from Deuteronomy chapter 7? God loved you because he loved you. God has put his favor on you because he loves you. He has given himself for us because of that love. So it's kind of the same exact thing in the New Testament era as it was in the Old And then finally, just to reiterate that, he did so to demonstrate his love. God demonstrates his love toward us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated that. 1 John 4, 9 says, Romans 5, 8, we've just quoted. John chapter 3, verse 16, I alluded to earlier as well. God so loved the world. He so, in this manner, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he's demonstrating that love. Do you see that same heavily relational component it's not just a, a, a formality. You know, it's not just robes and vestments and, and, and incense and all of that sort of thing. It is a personal love connection that God has with his people, Israel, with his people, the church, and in turn with the individuals that are rightly related to him in those groups. Now, looking forward, what's the purpose for which God chose the church? Why me? Why us? Well, there's... Easily a dozen things we could say here, but I'll just give you a few. He chose us to do good works. Like Israel, remember, they, they had some responsibilities to keep his commandments and statutes moving forward. And same for us, we're called to be holy and unblemished, to be cleansed from spot. We're to do good works. We're to be zealous for those things. We're to, 
We're called to, in order to be his children. Can you imagine that God wanted you and me and every member of, of the true church to be his child? He has arranged to adopt us into his family. That's a cool analogy, isn't it? I mean, it's real. It's real theology. But when you think about it, if you think about a, a young child, maybe think about a child who's not so, you know, not 17, but maybe 8 or 9 or 10 or 11, somewhere that they can understand I don't have a home. My parents have, they're gone or they've abandoned me or the, the state has taken me away from them because they're a danger to me. I have no place. And then some, out of the blue, some family comes to the foster home and takes them up into, that child up into their arms and takes them home and he's forever with them as, a, as their family now. Isn't that a privilege for that little one? Let's just assume everything is nice and works out and the adopted family's perfect like God is perfect. Okay? Wow. Now that's what God did with you. You were kind of like, you know, a foster kid bounced around between home to home to home and God took you into his family and said, you're in my family now. You belong to me. He set his love upon you. And to be in God's family, of course, you have to kind of keep up the family name a little bit, right? You don't just live any old way. You're his sons. He also called us to forgive our sins. That's right in the text in Matthew 26 when the Lord talks about the Lord's table. He said, in this cup, is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission or forgiveness of their sins. This is the purpose for which the Lord has chosen the church to forgive their sins. And then a couple others. He chose us to extol his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Remember that phrase from Ephesians 1? The work of the Spirit, the work of the Son, the work of the Father, all to the praise of the glory of of his grace in Ephesians 1, 6, 12, and 14. Um, he made us to be not only adopted sons, but also heirs of eternal life. And then one more thought, and that's in 1 Corinthians, and you don't need to turn there, but if you remember, Paul there says God didn't choose the mighty or the wise or the noble or you know the wealthy, that kind of thing. He chose the little things to bring to nothing the big things, to bring them right down. And so God did this in order to bring to nothing the big things of this world. I mean, if you look at the world, if you're kind of an outsider and you just kind of you know, uh, have a camera that can kind of look at all the events and all the things going on in the world, what would you say the big things are right now? The most important things the wars, the trade, the economics, the politics, the world movements that are you know, vying for freedom or for uh, tyranny of various sorts. You'd say big political movements, maybe communism or, or other things are you know, big. Big business, stock market, uh, you know, the big violence that's in the news. You know what God sees as the biggest and most important thing? The church. <laughs> the working out of his plan through the church, through the, the name of his son, through the Holy Spirit, to the rest of the world, calling people to himself through the gospel. 
That's big news. God has brought, has used that to bring to nothing the things that think they're big, you know, and great. What a privilege that it is for us. Why me? Well, God loves you. God loves you. God gave his son for you. He set his favor and affection upon you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to be his own son, his own child, to be identified that way. Not identified with some clique or cult or movement in the world, but to be identified with the name of Jesus. That's what he's done. Why Israel? The same thing, because he set his love upon them. And uh, there's, room, there's room for a lot of people in God's love, isn't there? You know, Israel, one, the church, the other, tribulation saints, uh, people that came before Israel who believed in God. Uh, lots of room there because God can set his love on those whom he wills. And he's expressed how he's done that, particularly in the Bible. But I'm thankful for that. Remember that relationship, heavily relational component to that love to why me. And uh, it's, a, it's a good, really a good question to think about and I think in this framework is somewhat helpful. Well, let's take a little time for reflection here in a moment. I'm going to pray and we'll conclude the live stream at that point after my prayer and then we'll reflect for a moment or two and then we'll share the table together. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for the gracious way in which you've dealt with us so kindly having appointed those of us who are yours to eternal life, having set your love upon us, having looked at us before we even were, if that's possible to even think about for our little minds, knowing us while we were yet in the womb, and setting your favor upon us that you would choose to open our eyes to bestow upon us the gift of life, to forgive, to bring to nothing the things of this world, to redeem us, to be a people zealous of good works, and to be holy and unblemished, and to be your sons, and to extol your glory. Lord, thank you for that love. Thank you for demonstrating it at the cross, that great, greatest demonstration of the love of God toward mankind. Help us to live this year in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Help us to turn our eyes away from beholding evil, to turn our minds away from thinking evil, to turn our feet away from doing evil, to turn our hands away from accomplishing those things that are displeasing in your sight, but rather that we would be focused on the good, those things that bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.